Chapter twenty one of Bunyan's Characters, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bunyan's Characters, Volume two, by Alexander White. Chapter twenty one. Gaius. Gaius, mine host, all. Good man Gaius was the head of a hostel that stood on the side of the highway well on to the celestial city. The hostess of the hostel was no more, and the old hostel-keeper did all her once well-done work in his own proper work into the bargain. Every day he inspected the whole house with his own eyes, down even to the kitchen and the scullery. The good woman had left our host and only daughter, but keep her as much out of sight as if possible, she said, and so fell asleep. And Gaius remembered his wife's last testament every day, till none of the hostel customers knew there was so much the young hostess in all the house. Yes, gentlemen, replied the old innkeeper. Yes, come in. It is late, but I take you for true men, for you must know that my house is kept open only for such. So he took the large pilgrim party to their several apartments with his own eyes, then set about a supper for those so late arrivals. Stamping with his foot, he brought up the cook with the euphonious and eupeptic name, and that quick-witted domestic soon had a supper on the table that would have made a full man's mouth water. The sight of all this, said Matthew, as the undercook laid the cloth and the trenches, and set the salt and the bread in order. The sight of this cloth and this forerunner of supper begetteth in me greater appetite to my food than I thought I had before. So supper came up, and first a heave shoulder and a wave breast were set on the table before them, in order to show that they must begin their meal with prayer and praise to God. These two dishes were very fresh and good, and all the travellers did eat heartily well thereof. The next was a bottle of wine red as blood. Sagea said to them, Drink freely. This is the juice of the true vine that makes glad the heart of God and man. And they did drink, and were very merry. The next was a dish of milk while crumb, at the sides of which Gaius said, Let the boys have that, they may grow thereby. And so on, dish after dish, till the nuts came, with the recitations and the riddles and the saws and the stories over the nuts. Thus the happy party sat talking to the break of day. 1. Now, it is natural to remark that the first thing about a host is hospitality, and that too whether our host is but the head of a hostel like good man Gaius, or the head of a well-appointed private house like Gaius's neighbour, Mr. Manason. The first and the last thing about a host is his hospitality. Say little and do much is the example and the injunction all housekeepers that Rabban Shammai draws out at the 18th of Genesis. Be like your father Abraham, he says, on the plains of Amur, who only promised bread and water, but straightway set Sarah to need three measures of her finest meal, while he ran to the herd and fetched a calf tender and good, and stood by the three men while they did eat butter and milk under the tree. Make thy Thora an ordinance. Say little and do much. 
and receive every man with a pleasant expression of countenance. Now this was exactly what Gaius our good man did that night, with one exception, which we shall be constrained to attend to afterwards. It is late, he said, so you cannot conveniently go out to seek food, but such as we have you shall be welcome to, if that will content. At the same time, taste that which is good, soon had a supper sent up to the table fit for a prince, a supper of six courses at that time in the morning, so that the sun was already in the sky when old Honest closed his casement. Dining in company is a divine institution, says Mr. Edward White, in his delightful Minor Molarities of Life. Let Sawyer's art be honoured among all men, he goes on. Cookery distinguishes mankind from the beasts that perish. Happy is the woman whose daily table is the result of forethought. Her husband shall rise up and call her blessed. It is piteous when the culinary art is neglected in our young woman's education. Let them, as St. Peter says, imitate Sarah. Let them see how that venerable princess went quickly to a kneading trough and oven and prepared an extemporal collation of cakes and pillow for the angels. How few ladies, whether Gentiles or Jewesses, could do the like in the present day. 2. The wistful and punctilious attention that good man Gaius paid to each individual guest of his was a fine feature in his munificent hospitality. He made every one who crossed his doorstep, down even to Mr. Fearing, feel at once at home. Such was his exquisite as well as his munificent hospitality. Come, sir, he said, clapping the white-faced and trembling pilgrim on the shoulder. Come, sir, be of good cheer. You are welcome to me and to my house, and what thou hast a mind to, that call for freely, and for what thou wouldst have my servants do for thee, and they will do it for thee with a ready mind. All the same, for a long time Mr. Fearing was mortally afraid of the servants. He would as soon have thought of stamping his foot for Dutch to come up, as for any of Gaius's serving mates. He was afraid to make any noise in his room, lest all the house should hear it. He was afraid to touch anything in the room, lest it should fall and be broken. We ourselves, with all our assumed ease and elaborate abandon, were often afraid to ring our bell even in an inn. Mr. Fearing would have as soon have pulled the tail of a rattlesnake. But before their sojourn was over, Guide was amazed at Mr. Fearing. That hare-hearted pilgrim would be doing things in the house that he himself could scarcely do, who had been in the house a thousand times. It was Gaius's exuberant heartiness that had demoralized Mr. Feeling and made him almost too forward, even for a wayside inn. In little things also, Gaius, mine host, showed his sensitive and solicitous hospitality. We all know housekeepers, not to say innkeepers, and not otherwise ungenerous housekeepers either, who'll grudge us a sixpenny worth of sticks and coal in a cold night and that too in a room furnished overflowing by Morton Brothers or the Messrs Maple. We take a candlestick and a dozen candles with us in the boot of the carriage when we wish to read or write late into the night in that great house. Another housekeeper, who would give you her only daughter with her wealthy dowry, 
will sometimes be seen by all in her house to grudge you a fresh cup of afternoon tea when you drop in to see her and her daughter. She says to herself that it is to spare the servants the stairs. But, all the time, under the stairs, the servants are blushing for their sometimes unaccountable stinginess of their unusually munificent mistress. I shall give you, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, of Aristotle upon munificence, in little thing, till you come up to his pagan standard. There is a real greatness, he says, even in the way that some men will buy a toy to a child. Even in the smallest matters, the munificent man will act munificently, as Gaius, mine host, munificently did. 3. Speaking of children, what a night of entertainment good old Gaius gave the children of the pilgrim party. Let the boys have the crumb milk, he gave orders. Butter and honey shall they eat, he exclaimed over them as that brimming dish came up. This was our Lord's dish when he was a child, he said to the mother of the boys, that he might know to refuse the evil, to choose the good. Then they brought up a dish of apples, and they were very good tasted fruit. Then said Matthew, May we eat apples, since they were by and with which the serpent beguiled our first mother. Then said Gaius, Apples they by which we were beguiled, yet sin not apples hath our souls defiled. Apples forbid, if eat, corrupt the blood. To eat such, when commanded, does us good. Drink his flagon, then thou church his dove, and eat his apples, who are sick of love. Then said Matthew, I make the scruple, because I a while since was sick with eating of fruit. Forbidden fruit, said the host, will make you sick, but not what our Lord hath tolerated. While they were thus talking, they were presented with another dish. It was a dish of nuts. Then said some of the table, Nuts spoil tender teeth, especially the teeth of children, which, when Gaius heard, he said, Hard texts are nuts, I will not call them cheaters, whose shells do keep their kernels from the eaters. Opie then the shells, and you shall have the meat. They here are brought for you to crack and eat. Then Samuel whispered to his mother and said, Mother, this is a very good man's house. Let us stay here a good while before we go any farther. The witch, Gaius the host, overhearing, said, With a very good will, my child. 4. Widower, as old Gaius was, and never for a single hour forgot that he was, there was a certain sweet and stately gallantry awakened in his withered old heart at the sight of Christiana and Mercy, and especially at the sight of Matthew and Mercy when they were seen together. He seems to have fallen almost in love with that aged matron, as he called her, and the days of his youth came back to him as he studied the young damsel, who was to her as a daughter. And there sat the loquacious old innkeeper upon that famous oration about women, which every man who has a mother, or a wife, or a sister, or a daughter has by heart. And from that he went on to discuss the great advantages of an early marriage. He was not the man, nor is he speaking to a mother who was the woman ever to become a vulgar and coarse-minded matchmaker. At the same time, he liked to see Matthew and Mercy sent out on a message together, leaving it to nature and to grace to do the rest. The pros and cons of early marriage were often up at his hearty table, but he always debated. Gaius was a great debater. The true hospitality largely consisted in throwing open the family circle to let 
young people get well acquainted with one another in its peace and sweetness. And Gaius both practised what he preached, and at the same time endorsed his watchful wife's last testament, when he gave his daughter Phoebe to James, Christiana's second son, and was thus slept alone, poor old Gaius, when the happy honeymoon party started upward from his hostel door. 5. The next host was one Mr. Manason, a Cyprusian by nation, and an old disciple. How far have you come today? he asked. From the house of Gaius, our friend, they said. I promise you, he said, you have gone a good stitch. You may well be weary. Sit down. So they sat down. Our great want, a while since, said old Honest, was harbour and good company, and now I hope we have both. For harbour, said the host, you see what it is, but for good company that will appear in the trial. After they were a little rested, Old Honest again asked his host if there were any store of good people in that town, and how, he said, shall we do to see some of them? If the sight of good men to them that are going on pilgrimage is like the appearing of the moon and stars to them that are sailing the seas. Then Mr. Manason stamped with his foot, and his daughter Grace came up, when he sent her out for five of his friends in the town saying he had a guest or two in his house at present to whom he would like to introduce them. Now, this is another good qualities of a good host, to know the best and the most suitable people in the town, and to be on such terms with them that on short notice they will step across to help to entertain such travellers as had come to Mr. Manason's table. And it is an excellent thing to be sure that when we are so invited, we shall not only get a good dinner, but also as good kitchen with our dinner, good company and good conversation. It is nothing short of a fine art to gather together to sit suitably beside one another, good and suitable people, as Mr. and Miss Manason did in their hospitable house that afternoon. And then, as to the talk, let the host and the hostess introduce the guests, and then let the guests introduce their own topics. As far as possible, in a city and a day like this, let our topics be books rather than people, and let the books be the books that the guests have read, rather than those that the host and the hostess have read. Books are a fine subject for a talk at table. Only let great readers order their learned and literary talk so as not to lead the less learned to temptation. There is no finer exercise of fine feeling than to be able to carry on a conversation about matters that other people present are ignorant of, and at the same time to interest them, to set them at ease, and to make them forget both you and themselves. I had a letter the other day from an English church clergyman in which he tells me that his bishop is coming this month to his vicarage for a kind of visitation and retreat, and that they are to have William's Law's characters and characteristics read aloud to them when the bishop and the assembled clergy at their meals. For my part, I would rather hear a good all-round talk on that book by the bishop and his clergy after they had all read the book over and over again at home. But such readings at assembled meals have all along been a feature of best fraternal life in the Church of England and in some of the sister churches. 6. Now, after dining and supping repeatedly with the garrulous old Gaius, with the all but silent Mr. Manason, I have come home ruminating again and again on this. 
that good host, the best host, lets his guest talk while he attends to the table. If the truth may even be whispered to oneself about a table that one has just left, Gaius did his best to spoil his good supper by his own overcarulity. It was good talk that he entertained his waiting guests with, for he may have too much of a good thing. His oration in praise of women was an excellent oration, had it been delivered in another house than his own, and, say, when it was asked to give it health of Christiana, or of Matthew the bridegroom and Mercy the bride, it would then have been perfect, but not in his own house, and not when his guests were waiting for their supper. On the other hand, you should have seen that perfect gentleman, Mr. Manason, that true old Christian and old English gentleman never once opened his mouth after he had said his guests were talking. He was too busy watching when any man's dish was again empty. He was too much delighted to see that every one of his guests was having his punctual share of the supper, and, at the same time, his full share of the talk. Mr. Fearing's small voice was far more pleasant to Mr. Manason than his own voice was in his own best story. As I opened my own door the other night, after supping with Mr. and Miss Manason, I said to myself, One thing I have again seen and learned tonight, and that is, host, and still more a hostess, should talk less at their own table than the most silent, most bashful, most backward guest. Make this an ordinance for thee, said Rabban Shammai to his sons in the law. Receive all they get with a pleasant expression of countenance, and then say little and do much. End of chapter 21